0: How's everybody doing? Awesome. Well, I've got to say, when Norm asked me to share this morning on this stewardship series on family... Um, I felt like he was kind of handing me like a, a big wrench to a fire hydrant. I'm like, oh dear, <laughs> there's so much I can unpack here today. Um, and it, because it is so personal to Harold and myself and, and how God has been speaking into our lives, changing the trajectory of our lives and how we view family. And so it's my privilege to spend this time with you and hopefully impart some things Uh, with you, and I hope as that fire hydrant gets cranked open, you get at least a little sprinkle, a little splash in your face, um, so that you can engage with me on this topic. There's so much to cover. In fact, we might not even cover a quarter of it, but I'll go as long as we have (laughs) time for, and, uh, it can be to be continued. You've got the manual in your hands, the Bible. So, so we will get going here. When we talk about stewardship, um, Stewardship is a word we use a lot when we're talking about money or possessions, and often people interpret its meaning as something that we take good care of, or we be frugal or stingy with, that we we steward it wisely, we guard it. Uh, But stewardship is far more than that. It's uh, more than simple financial wisdom or careful living. It's a concept that what we have in our lives doesn't belong to us. We are caregivers, given the responsibility to provide oversight. We're not the boss. The one to whom it belongs, and we know we've been talking about stewardship, God be- owns all things. The one to whom it belongs um, is, is in control. And a good steward never forgets who the real owner is. We talk about family. A good steward of family never forgets who the real owner is. And um, everyone is born into a family context, and everyone has a role to play in creating family. And so before we have all the singles kind of check out or the, 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 parents or the the couples without kids kind of check out like, oh, here we go again. This is about raising children and I can't or I don't, I want and all these different things. I want you to understand that stewardship of family is for everyone. We've been talking about the family of God being brothers and sisters. Norm isn't just like my brother. He is my brother. Doris isn't just like my sister. She is my sister. And so when we're talking about stewardship of a family, look around you. How are we stewarding how are we using the relationships that we have and how are we managing those well knowing that this family of God does not belong to us or the pastor it belongs to God who is our Abba father and so everybody has a part to play when we talk about stewardship of family let me do a test just to make sure if there's any doubters here um, stretch out your hand go ahead stretch out your hand yeah we're going to participate here um and We are going to check if you have anything to do with family. So with this hand, what you do is go right to the center of your core. Find your belly button. Who does not have a belly button? Does everybody have a belly button? Raise your hand if you have a belly button. There's a few back in Adam and Eve's age. Everybody has been born. You have an umbilical cord that was attached to your mother, your biological mother. Whether you are with her now or not, you are—you re- were born into a family. Some families, when you think of family, it's like a wonderful, whew, "I love my family." Others, it brings tons of pain, and disappointment, um, rejection, all kinds of things. But that doesn't matter in, in the sense of stewardship of family the sense is that we are all created to be part of family. And so I have six different aspects that I want to go through today um, that we'll see how far we get, get through. Um, but aspect number one is we are hardwired for family connection to fulfill his purposes. And family is not our sole ambition, and I'm going to qualify that. So often in the church we think, If I'm going to be a good family person, I'm going to just live for my family. Everything, family comes first. Can't do this, can't serve there, can't can't go here, can't go there, because my family comes first. My biological family, we're often talking about, comes first. But I want to challenge us today with these six different things and look at what does Scripture say about family. Jesus gives a radical call to discipleship. It says, if anyone does... Not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, or sister, or even his own soul, self. He can't be my disciple. Does he say that you can go home now and over roast beef and say, hey honey, I hate you. I don't think that's what he's meaning, right? What he's meaning is that family should not be the idol. It shouldn't be on the pedestal that we bow down to. We need to be learning to take our families with us into ministry. Obedience is your highest calling. Parenting is not your highest calling. Let me repeat that. Parenting or having a child or desiring a child is not your highest fulfillment in life. Some are called to it, some are not. But we were all called to care for children. But parenting is not your highest calling obedience in Christ being spirit led is your highest calling and if God should grant you children in your care you are called to take them with you instruct them uh, the Bible talks so much about imparting that wisdom with your children but family is not just a good idea it's God's idea God's design for humanity the Israelites were created for family um, we were just hardwired for it. It reminds me of, I'm Mennonite. I don't know if there's any other good Mennonites out here. Um, when we think of, when we go into our cultural roots, when we think of being Mennonite, it's not just about me, Wendy. It's, it's about, uh, it's that like your cousin's uncle's sister's dad is related to the person sitting next to you, right? <laughs> You, you, you find a sense of identity when you can play that family tree game, that Mennonite game of finding, okay, who's your dad, and who's your cousin, and, and oh yeah, so-and-so married, so-and-so, hey, now I know where to place you. That's just some internal wiring that we have to figure out how do we connect. We all desire connection. Um, and family was the central social unit in the biblical world, but it was. It had a missional purpose. It was not just so that we could glorify, oh, you have a cute family, isn't that great? No, Adam and Eve had children so that they could take care of the earth. That was their mission, and to be stewards of the earth, to rule the earth. Noah and his family, it wasn't like they just got chosen, they were like, oh, you guys just want a cruise. The rest are going down. No, they they got saved as their family. But it wasn't to go on a cruise ship for 40 days. They had a missional purpose in mind. It was hard. It was adventurous. It was risky. They had to be building an ark in the middle of nowhere. When when the people around them said, what are you doing? How are you raising your kids to build a boat? Like, what kind of influence are you? Those children are there to help redeem the earth. They had a huge purpose. Abraham and Sarah, we know that story. Abraham and Sarah, an infertile couple, called to raise a family, not just so that they could fulfill their bucket list. No, God had something far greater. He said, I want to raise up a family line that will be nurtured and loved in my presence, that they can call me Abba, Father. Through them, people will find salvation. And that is why we're here today. Because the obedience, and they didn't just keep their son to themselves and homeschool him and keep him safe. And I'm not against homeschooling, but, but just kind of bubble wrap him and said, this is our prized son. We don't want him to go up a mountain because, you know. Um, no, they had a son for a purpose. So family is not our sole ambition. If you have family, and we've all raised our hands, we've got belly buttons, we all do. It is because we're part of that context for a purpose. What that purpose is, is between you and God. You need to seek the Lord and He will, He will show you what it is that you need to impart with them. You need to analyze within yourself. Okay, God, how have you gifted me and wired me? Who are the people around me that I need to invest in? But they're not, it's not to put on a pedestal. It's not to be glorified. It's for a greater purpose. And I'm very grateful. I grew up in a ministry home. I had no choice but to be a Christian, sometimes I say. <laughs> but um, what I do appreciate, and obviously I did choose to follow Christ, what I do appreciate from my upbringing is that my parents didn't stop ministry because they were raising children. They quit their jobs in mini- in full-time business world. They could have made it big time. They quit their jobs to go in a fraction of a salary to do ministry. And some might say that's risky because then now like, how are you going to pay for your kids' education? How, you know what that's going to do for them? But that was the greatest gift that my parents could have done. Some would say that me and Harold four years ago quitting our jobs that we were loving and doing well in, in ministry and we were helping people after all. So it must be okay to keep them. But God called us out of it to give up everything to start a ministry and, and it it came with risks. We were also in the adoption process and how is God going to provide our needs? There are risks involved. But God is our Abba Father. I am just a steward of my children. If God is calling me to quit my job, if God is calling me to go in a direction, the greatest gift as a steward of my children is to take them with me and to instruct them and to guide them. And I feel like as we've given up what the world would say is giving up, our lives are far more richer as a result. Stewardship isn't being frugal. It's about tapping into the resources that aren't your own. And we can all have that. We are all wired for family. Point number two, children belong to God, and I have a role in their lives. But children are not possessions. When I dedicate my children to God, when we, me and Harold dedicate our children to God, and we're going to have a baby dedication in a few weeks, that is a declaration. It's not just a formality of, now we've had a baby, so this is what you do. It's an actual declaration before God that I am your, the steward of this child, and, and I release this child as an act of worship to you. Do, Lord, what you want to do through this child, and help me be a good steward for the years that I have to impart knowledge and wisdom and guidance to this individual. And I remember it hit us close to home when our son, our firstborn, was six months old and he was having terrible seizures. We didn't know what was done. We had already dedicated him to the Lord and we we're like, and people are saying, aren't you concerned and aren't you worried? And they were, they were doing all these tests and they scare you, right? You might have brain damage, you might do this, and he, he might never, whatever. And um, But I was reminded of the baby dedication. This child is not my own. God knows this child. He has a purpose for this child. So what did we do? We went back to the congregation who also stood before God and said, we dedicate as a family of Christ, we commit ourselves to nurture this child. It takes a village. And so we went back to our church and said, you know what? We don't understand this, but the church rallied around and we had a healing service. Because this child was not our own. He wasn't our possession that we had to fix. This child was not the church's possession, but we were stewards of this child to intercede on his behalf. Would you know that God, our Abba Father, healed him like that? Never had a seizure since, never had to go on medication. It doesn't always work like that. But in this case, it did because our, our church family was a steward of our child. I was not raising this child with, in, with difficulties on my own. He wasn't my possession. I had to get under control. But God, who is his Abba Father, took care of his needs and knew his needs. But we had a role. We all had a role. The church had a role in being part of that stewardship. And when we adopted our daughter last year, some would say well how does it affect your real children and i always say you know what none of my children whether they're biological or adopted they're not my own i just get i am blessed to have the time to invest in them the time that i have and that's they they all belong as equals cuz god has given me this blessing of raising her and part of the 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 idea of having a role in their life. I look at Sunday school teachers here, worship leaders, mentors, grandmas that look into my child's eye and value them and cherish them. All of you play a different role in my children's life that gives them a sense of belonging. And it's important as we as a body of Christ and as we look at the children in our congregation, as we look at each other as children of Christ, that we look into beyond just their behavior, beyond just what we see and get distracted by. But how has God wired him? How is she gifted? How can we invest in this person's life to enhance the body of Christ as a family? That is stewardship. So belonging is not ownership, belonging is, is acceptance, is accepting those people around you in the church is accepting those children in your, in your care. Is accepting even that weird uncle that shows up at gatherings. You know, God loves him. He knows and you have an opportunity to steward that relationship, to bring them into the presence of God. You have an opportunity to invest in this clearly rebellious teenager that is just not sure where to turn to. You have that opportunity either to reject and say, ah, I'm glad that's not my problem, or to invest. We often talk in churches, and and uh, and one of the things when we're speaking with foster parents especially and adoptive parents that take on some high-risk situations, and one of the, the biggest hurting things that we see predominantly in churches across Canada is that they feel very isolated. When their child does not behave in a certain way, um, they've Families will, or people will even say, well, I guess that's what you signed up for. Or, that's why I don't do that. Oh, I would get too attached if my child was in my home and, and then would have to be, be placed in another home. Rather than seeing it as a biblical sense, if we are family, we are stewards of the relationship as, as a body of Christ. Point number three. How are we doing for time? We'll keep going. Okay, so all children are a blessing. Children are not inconveniences. They might feel like it sometimes. Let me tell you, anybody do the morning scramble to school? Like, oh, how did we get these? No, but um, but children are a blessing, not for their behavior, not for what they can do for me. Just like... God, We are God's children, and not for our behavior or what we can do or that we're cute, but because we need an Abba Father. And children are our blessing as well in our church context, in, in schools if you're a teacher, in our homes if you're a parent, um, as grandparents, children are a blessing because God said they are. That's a pretty good reason. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And so often in our society, in Canada, we have lots of cultures represented here, but in Canada, we have not always esteemed children as we give lip service to. I'll give you some examples. The unborn child with Down syndrome. Did you know that 90% of our unborn children diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted before they have a chance to live? 90% 90% in Canada. They are precious. They are not flawed. They are not forgotten. They aren't mix-ups of our Heavenly Father. They have gifts and abilities that our congregation needs to embrace. Did you know that over 100,000 abortions are done annually in our nation because they are unplanned or unwanted, inconvenient to our schedule? Maybe they are a shame. It happens in the church, it happens outside the church, because there's such shame. And before we go on to our our little uh, soapbox and say, yeah, we're pro-life, and look who could do that, I have to ask the question in return to the church, if we are pro-life, who is taking away the shame and embracing with grace that single mom who feels she has no option? Who is the church member that will say, you know what, we love the children with Down syndrome. They are not an accident. They are not a burden. May we adopt them or may we support you to raise your child. That is being pro-life. Because children are a blessing. Who will care for the 80,000 children waiting in our foster care system? Many of them in group homes because there are no families willing to take the risk of raising god's blessings yes they come with complications yes there is there are brokenness but we will also unpack later today on how god is a redemptive god if we think that god cannot heal the brokenhearted our god is too small if we think that we cannot take on what god has called us into we need to check how trustworthy we are of our abba father we often talk, Harold talks a lot, and he's much better at it, in attachment issues when, when we have kids from trauma. But what I also see, and we need to have that attachment with the mother and, and the child, and the father and the child, and often that's broken due to crises, no, no fault of the child. But I often look at the church and sometimes I think we as a church have an attachment issue with our Abba Father. Do we trust him when he sends us that he will also catch us? When we, we do something good that he will delight in us? When we fall that he will pick us up? Do we trust our Abba Father to take these children in? Do we see children that climb up the walls perhaps because of FASD of no fault of their own or other conditions or autism or all kinds of different kinds of needs that our children present? And every child has different needs. Do we see them as a blessing that have something to offer? Something to minister into our hearts that we need them just as much as they need us. Because every single person is wired to need family. And don't think for a minute that somebody that is marginalized in the society doesn't crave it. Why do we have gangs? They're looking for belonging. Friends, we have an opportunity to invest in these children. They are not so far gone that we cannot reach them. And the church is called. It's not even a suggestion. It's not even for some of you. I'm glad it works for you. Oh, Harold and Wendy, I'm glad you're, you're taking that on because I could never do it. No, we. Uh, granted, we all have different roles to play. We're not all called to bring them into our homes, and you shouldn't if it's not God's calling. But it's not a question of, If we are called to care for children that God has created it's how how are you wired how has God created your family to be a blessing to the nations child welfare is not a political issue it's not something that government can fix or will ever be able to fix it's a community issue Mark 10, uh, 13 to 14. They were bringing children, people, were bringing children to to Jesus that he might touch them, but the disciples, they rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come. He was ticked. We often say, oh, let the little little children come already. (laughs) He was indignant and don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. To such, think of those children that we often don't necessarily see as blessings. To such belongs the kingdom of God. And he took them in his arms. He blessed them. His children are blessed. Laying his hands on them. They were belong, they had found belonging in God. And sometimes the only thing that hinders these children from healing is when the church hinders. And I'm not about to, I, yeah, it sounds like I'm putting all the guilt ship and so maybe I am. But I'm not going to take that away. Because sometimes we need to hear the, the, the honest truth, right? But it's not about guilting ourselves, so oh, I guess I should do this. But do you know that when you receive a little child in my name, you are receiving me? Who wants to receive the Holy Spirit? Who wants to receive the presence of God? Who wants to receive more of what God has in store? This big, big God that we can only get a glimpse of. Who wants more? Whoever receives these children in my name receives me. It's not a one-way street. You will receive when you give number four family is inclusive and it's not bound by DNA God urged the Israelites to manage their relationships well and to exclude, include, sorry, to include the orphan, the widow, and foreigner. Actually, it's laced throughout Scripture. We were speaking in a church; Harold was speaking about this, about how throughout Scripture, from old to new, that we are—it's always like the triad: the, the orphan, the widow, and the, the the newcomer, the refugee. Some translations, alien, but don't go there. Um, <laughs> it's so entwined in Scripture that we are to include them, the Israelites were to include them, James 1.27 says, pure and faultless religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in their distress. It's throughout Scripture, and when we were speaking there, then one lady came up to me after and says, what version of the Bible were you preaching from? And I'm like, oh no, she's a King Jameser, and I didn't use that version. Um, how am I going to redeem this, Lord? And she says, because my Bible doesn't say those things. And he said, well, which version do you use? It was the same one that we were preaching from. And she's changed her countenance. She's like, really? My Bible says we're supposed to do this? Why wasn't this taught to me? I'm like, She was in her 60s or something. That is amazing. You mean I'm called to care? It's not just somebody else? And I'm like, yeah. And, and that's, that's an enlightening time because I'm not saying that critically because Harold and I were in Korea with our one boy, one girl. We had a nice little marriage. We were in full-time ministry. Things were good. Went to, to Korea to visit his family. As many of you know our story, I won't go into detail, to present our family to these aging relatives who wanted to see in our complete family when God wrecked our plans and he called us into adoption. We both had the same dream one night that God is pushing us to include more children that needed belonging. Um, so, So I'm with everybody when I say family is inclusive. We've just wrestled through it. We're still working it out. What does it mean to include our neighbor? What does it mean to take on, take in somebody with mental health issues with post-traumatic stress disorder, a a birth mom that is about to give birth to a child, Uh, parents that just lost their children and are suffering with addictions. What does it mean to care? God has brought people to our doorsteps that were far more than what we thought we could handle. People said, when you adopt a teen, you better watch out. You You haven't touched the teenage years yet. But we felt strongly that God had called us to it. Um... But when God means he's inclusive, he's inclusive. And he provides for all your needs. So sometimes, yes, you will be called to do more than you feel you can handle. But remember, you are a steward. Remember who the owner is. Remember who your Abba Father is. Let's not be so detached from our Abba Father that he cannot be trusted. It's not bound by DNA. We can see it clearly through Scripture. That the Israelites were to include the foreigners among them, they were to include the the parentless among them, they were to include the widows among them. Everybody had a place in the family of God. And social services in their day didn't come from a government. It was part of stewarding family. That was the system. Later, we even read how even Gentiles, whole households who weren't raised in the knowledge of God, were welcomed into God's family through their acceptance of salvation. And it shook the whole Jewish nation to think that bacon-eating worldly people would now be their brothers and sisters, and they had to share at the same table. And don't elbow each other, right? you you got to treat them like your brother and sister. They are your brother and sister. Jesus put people pretty straight with the disciples around the table. And because of that, I, I'm not Jewish. Um, and I'm thankful that way, way, way back, that, bla- that trail had been blazed for me. That I don't have to struggle to be able to confess profess my Christianity, my allegiance to Christ. That I... I, He's my dad. He's not my stepdad. He's not my grandfather because my parents believe in God. Um, he's my Abba Father. And so when God puts people in your life that aren't your DNA-related, uncles, brothers, cousins, relative. That gives us a sense of, oh, now I know how you relate. I, I'm Mennonite. But when God puts other people in your life that might look different than you, might have different conditions different than you, something a little bit, whoo, what do we do with this? When God brought a Muslim daughter into our family. When it, the, all these different circumstances that come to mind, and I, I see, you know what? They need belonging. And sometimes the best way of sharing Christ with people is just creating belonging. Not dictating what they have to think, not dictating how they should live, but to embrace them. My grandpa, who just um, had a birthday yesterday, we had celebrated his 97th birthday. And uh, he's still moving really fast with his walker. And, uh, And he just had eye surgery because he says, I want to live life to my fullest. But growing up, We had gatherings, and they were known in the community that anybody could stop by. We had a big family, Mennonites do. And yet, when there was somebody, and it's usually somebody that didn't fit in, they were usually marginalized in the community, when they came to their door, my grandpa would always say, there's always room for more. In our church, when we, when God calls us to the banquet table, when we share communion together, there is nobody outside these walls in this community. There's nobody in government. There's nobody in, in the north end. There's nobody in any parts of the world that do not belong at the table of Christ. But sometimes the only thing that hinders them is having us invite them to that table to partake. And making them not just feel, okay, we'll be kind and we'll do a little mission trip in here. don't you? Aren't you grateful for the food we give you? No, there's always room for more. You are not any less. You are not any greater. You belong as part of the table. You can share with me. We are equals. Not for what you believe. Not for how you smell or don't smell. Not for how you think. You belong because you are a blessing from God. God has created you, and you have a place in his family. Um, Family is a choice commitment. I think of the prodigal son. The father did not mandate, son, you're staying here till you're like 25, you're going to get an education, you're going to do this and that, and no, you are not taking your inheritance. It grieved the father to let him go, to do his rebellious thing. It grieved him immensely. But the point of the story is that God does not control us. He doesn't say you have to do this and that. You have to take in children because that's what the Bible says. You have to include the, the widow beside you because that's, Bible mandates me. You have to uh, help a refugee family because it's your duty. No, he, he leaves it, a, it's a heart issue. It's an attitude issue. He wants you to be in relationships so that you can do what, his will for you. He knows what is best for you. But he will let you go to the pig pen. He will let your child go to the pig pen. He will let that person make bad choices or hurtful things against us. Don't you think the father hurt? What the, the son just basically disregarded him and took his money and left? But our father lets us do that. And sometimes we cannot, or always, we cannot control the outcome of our children. How your children turn out isn't a reflection of who your character is. It doesn't mean we don't have a, a, a purpose in stewarding them and guiding them and nurturing them when they are young to prevent certain things. But ultimately, they are gods and they belong to him. Um, I, I took an excerpt uh, from Janet here who helped me um, in some of this last night. She sent me a, a little quote from a book she was reading uh, for the love and it says, The bad news is there's no system, no 10-step program to ensure success. Kids are their own people, and this is clear downside. This is a clear downside of children. Parents of little kids think they're still in control of the outcomes. But big mamas of big children, they know better. Kids are actually humans with hearts, minds, ideas, and a laundry list of sins to handle. There's no secret way around their humanity. We can put up good markers, but cannot chart their courses. Sometimes it means letting go. Sometimes stewarding, meaning we are there waiting, expecting. We're there on the hillside, always looking, always longing, always interceding for them, always wishing they were in our arms. But sometimes it means letting go and not controlling them. That's what God has done for us. And number six, Scripture shares practical wisdom in stewarding families he doesn't just give you kids he doesn't just give you a church family as a pastor and say hey good luck with them uh, he doesn't give you a, a sunday school class or a, a classroom full of kids he doesn't give you a boy to mentor and just say oh, good luck with them you're on your own well, bible is predominantly a relational book it's an instruction book. It's not a do's and don'ts of this is the law and so therefore you must do this. It's to bring freedom in your your relationships. It's to help you, to guide you in how to do relationships well. And they will warn you if you, if you do this, don't do this because you're going to have lots of hardships if you act this way. But do this because I want it to go well with you. Honor your father and mother so it will go well with you. Forgive your brother. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Love your wife. Train up your child. Fathers, don't exasperate your children with dad jokes or whatever it is that exasperate your children these days. (laughs) Respect and honor, all these things. These are meant to help you in your particular role in the family of God and how you are to steward know your scriptures dig into them when you are pressed with the, the, the people in your care press into scripture seek God um, there, there's a lot of practical wisdom there Deuteronomy 6 7 says you shall teach them diligently to your children they're talking about the law and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the day when you lie down and when you rise Deuteronomy eleven eighteen 18 says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Why? So it will go well with us as we steward our relationships. In your bulletin, you have three questions that were put there. You can go ahead and look at them. Um, the first question on there says, is my understanding of family biblical? So my question to you is, what in in this time, the short time that we've had together, is there anything that stands out to you? Any little niggle, any little thing or any person that comes to mind that the Holy Spirit is wanting to work with you on? Is there anything that you need to press into God for? To get that biblical understanding. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you're not sure where you fit in. Maybe you don't know where you align in this whole biblical narrative of stewarding families. But as you think about that, I'm going to just put up a a video. It's not the highest quality, but it's the best we got. Francis Chan um, words it beautifully. and uh, Feel free to keep writing, but uh, we're going to listen to this uh, short video.
1: much instability so much that we don't understand that that we don't know for me growing up it was uh, a lot of you guys know my mom died giving birth to me and my dad remarried then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine then my dad got married again then my dad died of cancer when I was 12 and so I'm in junior high my mom's dead my stepmom's dead my dad's dead the only close relatives I had were my my aunt uncle George and Sandra and then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my Uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable, and so we go, okay. That was nuts. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here. And uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. <laughs> you just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to... Um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%. Um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery, because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so th- you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of the dream, good dream, <laughs> the dream you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go... <laughs> Now, if, uh. Could you imagine? Could you imagine watching the Olympics? You know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes. What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. That's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. <laughs> well done. You live the safest life possible. You didn't slip, you didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes.
0: So, the second question is what my role is. There's so many things, and I've listed some, it's hard to see it on there. If you want to know, I'll plug you in. We have government asking us. We have families asking us. We're, is there anybody in the churches that will take and help and accept and create belonging? It's incredible. Maybe, and I would say, look at your spiritual gift test. Do the spiritual gift test if you have not already. What are you good at? What are your inclinations? What, how has God wired you? Could you be welcoming, repairing, cooking, mentoring, praying, encouraging, teaching, advocating, babysitting, fostering, adopting, giving, cleaning for somebody that needs help, sharing, inviting others, hosting people, hospitality, driving somewhere if they can't get a ride, parenting. What is your role in stewarding families? I'll let you take that home. And the final question is, who needs to be included in my understanding of family? That's a a conversation with you and the Lord. But we're gonna bring this to a close now, and I don't know if the worship team wants to come and you're going to end in prayer, but I want to spend a moment in quiet reflection as they get come up here. Who needs to be included in my understanding of family? Is it a sick neighbor, a lonely widow, a foster child? a single church member a single parent a estranged relative a refugee family a struggling co-worker the list could go on and on and on the beautiful thing about the family of christ is that god sends us out from this family gathering into areas that we can steward those relationships and invite them in to be part of the belonging of christ who has god where has god positioned you Who does God bring to mind? There's always room for more.